welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am thrilled to be here on Zoom today with the incredibly talented designer, Tanya Taylor. Tanya, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, we are doing this in uh, the bizarre times that is that is COVID, and instead of being in New York, you're here in Toronto. Yes. Yeah, so I came to Toronto mid-March thinking I was coming for the weekend with like one pair of jeans and three sweaters and I'm still here. <laughs> it's been, you know, two and a half months. Well, before we get into talking a bit more about your designs and some of the beautiful collections you have, I want to start at the beginning. And uh, can you share a little bit about where you're from, where you're born and what your family makeup was like? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Toronto, so it feels very, you know, comforting to be back home. Um, I grew up in Etobicoke, and I had a very entrepreneurial family that I grew up in, um, and a very artistic, open-minded, and culturally diverse family. So both my parents had worked for the Red Cross for years before I was born, and I grew up in a household that was just you know, covered in textiles and color and an appreciation for differences of people. Um, and I think that really influenced me. I think that I love to travel. I love, you know, um, I paint all of our prints and I love like what I kind of grew up being surrounded by and being able to appreciate. Um, and then my mom was very entrepreneurial. She ran a company, um, in Canada, which had like 5,000 employees and it was in the oil and gas sector. And she was this like hardcore businesswoman. But then I would have this really soft side of her when she came home where we would, you know, paint the walls of the house and do arts and crafts. And I think kind of having the influence of seeing a female figure that could be both, you know, a business leader, but also someone who expressed themselves artistically was forged a path of what I wanted to become and really made it clear that you could have art and commerce together. And um, so I went to McGill University for my undergraduate degree. I moved to Montreal, studied finance, um, really felt like I loved math. I knew I always wanted to start my own business and thought it would be great to have the foundation of McGill um, Bachelor of Commerce. And Loved it there, but also didn't love that you wore a black suit to to school and it was all boys. So I, I and I came from an all girls school, like in high school. So I just knew that I needed some creative outlet and I needed to find a career where I could mix both being creative, business wise, and art wise. So you I don't have, know. was your. I just want to back up for a sec. Was your high school a uniform school? Yeah, it was Havergal College. So I wore um, green and yellow. And I think those are my like two least favorite colors now. <laughs> so I don't know. My high school uniform was smoky gray and burgundy. And I never wear them. <laughs> Did you go to bring some? Or oh, Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Dame. Okay. I think that's BSS's colors too, maybe. I think so. It's popular in the uniform sector. Yeah. When having worn a uniform and being surrounded by all this vibrant vibrancy that you describe at home, when do you think you realized that fashion was more than just the clothes that covered your body, that it had something more magical to it than that? Early on, um, I saw my mom and my grandmother use fashion to express themselves and to express their moods. 
And they were very, they did that through color. So, um, you know, my mom would wear head to toe purple and, um, paint her nails purple and like everything matched. And then my grandmother would be like all yellow and it, it projected what they wanted to say to the world. And I think I saw how much they enjoyed playing with fashion that, um, from a very early age, I always just saw it as something that wasn't intimidating. It should be approachable and it should be like a tool that you use to, you know, be yourself. I love how you say you weren't intimidated by it because something I hear people talk about a lot is they did have some intimidation about, about fashion. How did you express your style if you were not, uh, you know, encumbered by some sort of like intimidation by it? Um, I definitely didn't look cool. I look back at my pictures of my teenage years and it was shocking. Um, but I never felt, um, I never really cared about what was cool or trendy. I think I, I just always really had like an instinctual impulsive, like approach to fashion. I always love vintage. So like my first job was at paper bag princess, um, in Toronto. Um, and I was the window display girl. Um, so I just always kind of gravitated to the old. And I think that that helped ground me and make me maybe a bit different in how I saw fashion. I saw it as like storytelling. When you went to McGill, were you the fashion girl in the finance program? (laughs) No, I don't. Someone once told me that I always looked very romantic, which I was like, what? (laughs) It was an interesting observation, but I like femininity. I think I always have dressed very feminine. Um, and I participated in the McGill fashion show by designing my first collection for the student fashion show. So I slowly became more comfortable kind of owning, you know, what I loved about fashion. So when did you make the pivot? Like you were on some sort of trajectory with your finance degree and you went to, it was central St. Martin. Yeah. Was that the moment that made, made a shift? Like what was, what was happening in your, in your soul and in your mind that made that transition? I think I felt, um, like unfulfilled. I felt very, I felt like I was doing my schoolwork. I knew where the path like that, you know, graduation could take me in terms of a career, but I just felt something was missing in freedom and like, um, spontaneity of, what I craved. And so I looked up classes in the summer that I could take between uh, year three and year four at McGill and central St. Martin's in London had an intro to fashion summer course. And they're known for being very, you know, experiential and, um, you know, very artful. And I thought it could just be something to try. So I signed up and it was amazing. I was by myself in a city that I didn't know anyone else in, I was like going to jazz bars at night by myself. And then by day, like learning how you build a collection or how like you paint prints and central St. Martin's is in a really old building at like the Charing Cross station. So you're kind of immersed in like these stories of like Alexander McQueen and Christopher Kane and like all these incredible designers that I really looked up to. Um, and I think I've always really loved British fashion. Like I, it just has this like quirk and this humor and, um, this playfulness that sometimes I think North American fashion can lack. Oh, from dandies to Vivian Westwood, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's an art to it. There's a community to it. 
And so, um, I just, I kind of jumped into that and then that made me realize I should be studying, you know, fashion. So after McGill, that's why I went to New York to Parsons. And what was the experience at, at Parsons like? Like, I see that as one of the like, ah, like the meccas of fashion design in North America. Yeah, it is. Um, very different. So I was in a program called the AAS program. And it meant that everyone had an undergraduate degree in a different discipline. So it was really interesting because we were all studying fashion design really for the first time formally, but you might have an opera singer, you might have a pre-med student, you might have a like, you know, law student and everyone coming with these different backgrounds and kind of approaches to fashion really inspired me. Um, and when I was there, I had my first internship, I got my first job. So I think that that was a very like formative time, um, of, you know, comparing British wild, don't think about the commercial fat, like side of fashion to New York, which is giving you tactical skills to actually work in the industry. I'm seeing this theme of almost like yin and yang in your, in your trajectory. Like there was the finance and the fashion, there was the British and like Elizabeth and James was so, it's so minimalist. It's so clean. It's, it's such a different aesthetic is, is that balance something that you can kind of reflect on? Yeah. I, um, I always say that I like to color within the lines. So I always love to think about clean shape and like, sharpness and exactness of shape and then go wild on the inside. And so I think that like, that's where texture and color and print mean a lot to me. And I think that's where maybe I've executed those polar opposites in my work, but, um, definitely I'm very, I love opposites. So like, even when I start a collection, if I'm looking at a female artist, I want to know who her friend was that was really different to her. And I love thinking of like, how do two things that are so different come together and surprise people or get along? Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that probably I haven't thought about it, but that's probably like how I grew up is my mom and dad were very different and I sought out kind of, you know, tension and differences. It's the, it's the beauty of the pastiche, right? Like the collision is where the beauty comes from sometimes. Yeah. Cause it's, it's nice when things aren't, Perfect. Like I like that. I like that offness. I love too, that that's in like the construction as well as the painting. Like you take those two sides to your own, your own line. Like it must be so rewarding to be able to go to the painter side of things, but still then be on the construction side and design side of things. Like they must use two different parts of your creative brain. Yeah, they do. And I think that they're constantly challenging the balance that you create. So it's not always easy to find that perfect tension, but that's what I enjoy the most about my role in design is like always kind of figuring that part out. Was New York City always the end goal or did it just sort of evolve out of being at Parsons and that's where you do interns and that's where you make connections and then it just sort of became a natural extension of that to to set up there? It was a definitely natural extension at the time. Like my, I'm married now and I met my husband at McGill and we were living in different cities when I first moved to New York. So I didn't know where I would necessarily end up, but I fell in love with the city. I think it has such an energy um, and the people, I always say like, you can feel like you're lost, but you never feel alone. 
like you can really like, and I love that. Like I'm a, I'm an only child and I love being alone. <laughs> so I, um, I always felt like I could walk around the city and just have endless inspiration. Um, but I also kept an open mind, like, and I still do. I'm like, I would love in my life to live multiple places because I think the biggest thrill I ever find is when I land in a new city on a flight and I just know that I have this like whole place to discover and kind of explore. I, I'm just reflecting too on you being the Canadian in New York as another kind of like those opposites, like yeah. interplaying in your life and in your, in your creativity. Well, Canadians are so polite and really nice. And I feel like on the first couple months of my job, they were like, there's a little more usually hustle and aggression that goes on with Americans. <laughs> I've definitely ad adapted that. And I'd say over 12 years, I, I feel like a New Yorker. One of the things that I love that you've done, like you've created so many like beautiful collections, but the fashion films that you did for yeah. all 2020, yeah. one, they're hilarious. Thank you. Uh, they're so quirky and so smart. What was the inspiration behind them? Apart from, obviously, I think there must be a bit of wanting to disrupt the whole fashion presentation side of things. But what yes. was your thinking? How long were those in the works for? Um, well, the great answer to how long those were in the works for was probably four weeks before we shot them. It was a very, very quick <laughs> um, execution of never making a film before and figuring out how to it was and it was over <laughs> Christmas break so it was just like I don't know how we did it but our team's amazing um I felt like I felt very confused as to how we were including a customer in fashion week for quite a while um we were realizing that the most meaningful relationships we were building were with our customers and whenever September or February rolled around for New York fashion week they were kind of like oh my gosh, I'm so happy with what you're creating. I can't buy it. Why, like, how can I participate? And there was nothing that we could really do other than, you know, physically inviting them to a show. And that's just impossible. So um, we wanted to do something digital that could be shared. We realized that comedians wear us more than any other profession. And I think- Really? Always have. Like the, the first celebrity that ever wore us was Rashida Jones. Um, we've had the first ever collection too, right? Like she yeah. was right out of the gates. Yeah. She, she was like hosted a comedy central night. I was on my way to Paris for the first time with our collection. And someone sent me a picture of her in like a full look, Brad Goreski, who's also Canadian had styled her. And, um, I thought that that's just the way things went. Like I didn't realize that it was actually hard to get celebrities to wear your clothes um but anyway so we've had her wear us there's multiple snl um actresses that have worn us on air and um we just i feel like we share an alignment with comedians because they are they are lighthearted. they're willing to you know have this like joyful spirit and poke fun of themselves and they're self-deprecating and i think we never try to take ourselves too seriously so and we wanted like a new adventure for the team because fashion week had just felt like a little bit of a repetitive thing. So yeah, we decided to um, hire an amazing writer from Tina Fey's production company. And she's this young writer who wrote the five scripts. And then we started approaching our favorite comedians and 
um, they were terrific. And I think that it was this really kind of like lighthearted way of poking fun of the fashion industry and how like during fashion week, my friends call me and they're like, Hey, can I talk to you? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like I have no time for talking. I'm like, it's fashion week. And they're like, I don't care. Like, it's not like the world does not revolve around this weird week. And I think that that's what we were trying to kind of realize that we had burst the bubble and recognize that. Well, and they seem even more relevant than ever as COVID is really shedding a light on, you know, fashion weeks will never be the same. You know, the fashion calendar possibly will never be the same. How have you been adapting in this COVID reality that we're all living right now? Yeah, it's something we're talking about actively right now. Um, You know, I think there's some really informed proposals that have come out this week um, about what a new calendar could look like. And the aim of that being that publicly when you would show a collection would be closer timed to when it's available for a customer. Um, And that takes time for companies to adjust their development cycles and their production cycles. But it's something we want to do. I think we have a really fast growing, strong direct consumer business that doesn't feel aligned with what the old wholesale model was for selling to retailers. So if we can kind of get those closer to each other, um, I think it would be better for everybody. We were just talking about celebrities there as well for a minute. And I would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about working with Michelle Obama. Yeah. I can just imagine what a thrill, I'm assuming what a thrill that would have been. Oh, absolutely. Like biggest honor and the most incredible person to work with. What's it like seeing your clothes out in the world, be it on a Michelle Obama or a Beyonce or just walking down the streets of Toronto or New York or Montreal and going? (laughs) Um, It's the best feeling. I'd say it's almost, it's really exciting when you see it in the wild. Like if you're like waiting for the subway and there's somebody on the platform wearing one of your dresses, it feels very, very cool because you kind of can't stop staring at them and you're like, I wonder what she does for a job. I wonder where she's coming from. Like, how did she style it? Um, You ever ask them? Yeah, my mom makes me. So if I'm with my mom, she makes me like go up to them and talk to them. And I'm just so like embarrassed. Um, But yes, I've learned that I shouldn't be embarrassed and that I should totally know, you know, everything about these people because I'm so excited that they're supporting us um but yeah Michelle Obama the first time we saw her every time we saw her she just kind of lights up you know she embodies everything that we believe in well there's such a sense of joy to your collections be it the way you blend colors or the prints or the the way things are cut like there's such a sense of yeah. like I don't know another word to use other than joyfulness have you have you always had this relationship with fashion that it is rooted in a sense of joy yes yes um I think that I've I've never I've always had fun with it and I think that I've never felt um I've just never felt like someone might judge me based on what I was wearing. I just always felt like I could kind of be different characters or um, really play dress up. And I've, I've used fashion to really like express myself. And 
Um, I took a long time to kind of get out of my shell as a person. And I think I probably used fashion to speak for me before I started to be able to articulate opinions. And what's coming down the pipe for the, for the brand, Tanya Taylor, do you have anything kind of, as you're thinking post COVID, I know you just launched a beautiful swim collection. Yeah. Obviously incredibly inclusive, you know, using, you know, the kinds of models you use on your website and whatnot, such a, such just a progressive and fresh contemporary brand. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, size inclusivity is really important to us. We're definitely growing product categories. Um, We are trying to figure out coming up the first week of June, how to do virtual sales market, which we've never done before. So we're virtually shooting a lookbook, putting it on Vogue.com, also trying to sell that collection virtually. So a lot of, um, a lot of first times I'm giving birth in a month. So I think that's, that's coming up. Congratulations. <laughs> Never a dull moment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, we have, we have some really cool collaborations coming up and that's, that's important to me is like, how do we lend our voice to partner with other companies that inspire us to be able to, you know, give customers newness. I've talked to a lot of people in the industry just as we're wrapping up about how this particular time in history has fostered a sense of community in the fashion industry that it's not that it was lacking before, but it just seems to have new energy infused into it. Is that something you've experienced? Absolutely. I've been so, um, surprised and like so happy with how much other brands have been transparent and collaborative and how much we've all started relying on each other. And I think you see that in some of the recommendations of what fashion industry should do going forward is it's like, it's a collective idea that a lot of people have, you know, had input in, but yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I sent an email like on a Friday to like 60 people And they're people that, you know, are really, some are mentors, but some are just like aspirational. I wanted them to know what my opinions were. I had written a couple articles that week that I wanted to share. And I was blown away by the response of people to share what they're doing. And also to say, let's just jump on a call and like connect. And that doesn't usually happen in this industry. It's, there's a lot of kind of privacy and, um, I I think we'll all benefit by those partnerships that are now being created. I completely agree. Tanya, thank you so much for being here today on, uh, on fashion talks. If people are wondering, you know, where they can follow you and follow the brand, what's the best handle for them to follow you at? Just on our Instagram, just at Tanya Taylor. We post a lot of really fun, happy content. Um, So yeah, follow us there. You sure do. It's a ray of sunshine every time I see you in my feed. (laughs) Thank you. That's very nice. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And a huge thank you to CAFA, our producing partner in this podcast. You can follow CAFA at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. And you can follow Fashion Talks at Fashion Talks Pod and me at This Is Donna B. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop and this is Fashion Talks.